You're listening to the Fantasy Football Astronauts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Fantasy Football Astronauts podcast. This is your host, Daniel Harms, taking you off on another spaceship adventure. I'm bringing in one of my favorite follows on Twitter. You guys can follow him at P2W Fantasy. His, this is Nick Scripp. He has his own show. He has his own fantasy football guide this year. Make sure you check that out. How are you doing, Nick? Very good, man. Um, I'm glad uh, to be on the show. I know we uh, kind of went back and forth getting it scheduled, but I'm I'm glad we're actually getting it getting it uh, rolling here. But uh, I know you've uh, been on my podcast before, so I'm happy to uh, return the favor and be here today. So thank you for having me. No problem. It only makes sense to try to get everybody that we, you know, the, the group that we hang out with on Twitter, kind of get them all in, involved in the same spot. We all know each other. We respect each other. And that's one of the things that I love about you and how you talk about fantasy football. I respect your brand a lot. And I just I know that when we have conversations on Twitter, I want to bring it on to a podcast setting so we can all appreciate what we all do. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And today we are going to talk about gearing up for the redraft season. This is going to be an episode where not just for those of you that are new to fantasy football. Everyone has interesting ideas when it comes to drafting, different strategies, how you like your leagues and everything like that. So it's going to be a useful tool for people that have been in it for a while, and also for people that haven't been in it for all that long. So what I want to talk about first is how you really like to, to talk about or go through your rosters. Like, what's your preferred setting for your lineups? How many players you get, um, how many teams you have throughout your, your leagues and when you're setting up as commissioner how do you how do you like to prepare for your draft yeah so i you know i've i've played in a variety of different leagues i've played in leagues that uh, are super flex where you can start two quarterbacks i've played in mm -hmm. um lee i run a league actually that's full offense and full defense so that's pretty interesting too um you you always run into leagues where you know you have to start two running backs and two wide receivers or two running backs and three wide receivers i like um as far as uh, roster structure goes I actually, you know, I, I know Superflex is super hot and, you know, all the big analysts love Superflex and, mm -hmm. and I do like it, but I, I, I like your standard one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, and then a flex or two. I think with the wide receiver position being as deep as it is, it just makes sense to me to have more wide receivers than running backs starting in your lineup. And uh, the one quarterback, I think um, it kind of emphasizes when you're drafting mm -hmm. to kind of look into these other positions and not overemphasize the quarterback position. So that's kind of the structure I, I like to roll with as far as the roster goes. But again, I'm, I'm pretty up for anything. I'm not really against uh, any certain structure. I think, you know, the structure of your lineup is going to uh, be important when you're drafting and understanding your roster spots and your bench spots and, you know, how you want to attack that. Yeah, I think one of the more underrated parts about getting into a draft is really paying attention to how many bench spots you have because it can differ from league to league. And if you've been playing like regular ESPN or fantasy football most of your life or Yahoo, whatever it is, it's the same. But as soon as I like joined the fantasy football community a few years ago, I noticed that benches are all different all across different platforms and formats. Yeah. And when I started messing around with my own leagues and starting to get comfortable, I like the like you said, the three wide receivers starting. It makes just way more sense. And I also just get rid of kickers. Like I just don't do it anymore with, with my own redraft leagues. I just say, I mean, this is kind of a, a spot you can literally every single week get production out of so that's kind of the same with the defense but it's a little different but i personally just kick them off and then put another flex in there that's kind of my own thing and i actually prefer super flex only and 
dynasty if that makes sense like i yeah, for yeah. some reason I, I like that a little bit better but in redraft i stick to that one qb it's strategic i guess you could say but i don't know i feel like it's more comfortable maybe that's just because a creature of habit i've always done it that way so i stay that way uh that's definitely somewhere in there but ppr how do you feel about ppr half ppr standard like tight end premium these kind of things how do you go about prioritizing that in your own drafts do you really just kind of let everyone feel it out or, or do you have a specific standard that you like to keep I, I like everything PPR. I, th I think that you can find value for all positions in PPR pretty pretty well. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. it changes uh, the the upside of certain guys. Obviously, your you know run uh, pass catching running backs, your Austin Ecklers of the world, mm -hmm. um, are, are big in PPR. But I you know my contents all PPR. I I uh, always try to um, preface I'm talking about PPR when. Uh, I push things out half yeah. point PPR. You, you look at like Scott Fishbowl, and I feel like uh, a lot of podcasts out there um, speak on half point PPR because it's like that middle ground of, you know, mm -hmm. you don't want to be totally old school with standard or be completely PPR. But I do like PPR. I, I like, uh, you know, the tight end premium. I'm not, I'm like indifferent about it. I think if, if it's, if it's a setting in a league I'm playing, I want to make sure that I prioritize uh tight ends that are important to their offenses and uh, make sure I don't fade tight end as much as maybe I would have in a redraft, you know, straight up redraft league or, um, you know, consider that uh, some people said with like tight end premiums, you know, kick the tight end premium and add an extra tight end. I'm in the middle about it. I think it's just something to uh, keep in mind that is going to factor into your drafting a little bit if it is tight end premium, but I'm not pro tight end premium against tight end premium, but yeah, big PPR guy. Uh, curious about yourself, though. Do you play in primarily PPR, or uh, you know, how do you run your leagues? Yeah, ever since I got into actually doing it for a regular regular thing, not just playing with my friends on ESPN like when I was growing up, it's been a PPR yeah. thing for me. I have never actually played a half PPR league myself. It's just never been something that came up. But this is my first year in this guy fishbowl. And for those of you that are new, you don't know, PPR is point per reception, and tight end premium just adds an extra half point per reception based on tight end. So that's what we mean by tight end premium and PPR. So this is also my first year in the Scott Fishbowl League. Like you, you mentioned, that does have that tight end premium add addition to it. So I'm interested to see how this is going to work out because I decided to take a Kyle Pitts and my with my second pick in that in that that league. So I'm I'm excited to see nice. my different draft strategy pay off a little bit because I've never actually taken Kyle Pitts, not just myself. I had none of Kyle Pitts last year. So this is actually my first little dip into the Kyle Pitts bowl. So I'm excited in, to see him in take the second us. round or or your second overall pick in the second round you took him. Yeah, I took him in the second round. Yeah, I just, same, same. I actually yeah. did the exact same thing with Kyle Pitts. I got a little scared, but it. it yeah. I liked. I like how the construction worked out. I ended up getting, you know, my my quarterback two in the fourth round. So it just it all kind of kind of worked out for me. But yeah, so tight end premium just really helps make sure you don't fade that tight end position, especially the top five. The top yeah. five when your tight ends are what you're looking for. If you can't, then you really start to push everybody up the board and start to find those tight ends in the rough that you can get in there. But when it comes to your favorite league size, size like I always used to play with 10. Like I thought 10 was good. I'm like, you, you get a really good roster and you start to venture out a little bit. There's 16, there's 48, man. There's a ton of different formats. What is your favorite league size to play in? I like, uh, I like 12 team, which just seems to be, I don't know if it's standardized, but it seems to be pretty standardized. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like it's a good balance. I think, I think 10 teams uh, leagues are extremely, 
you know, everybody's good. Everybody's got a good lineup and you are banking on health and you're banking on having the strongest possible guys in your lineup. And it, it's important to have guys that, you know, your, your Jonathan Taylors of the world are more expensive in a 10 team than a 12 team, just because yeah. it, it's, it's overemphasizing the guys in that lineup. And then, um, six, you know, 16 team or 14 team, I think in those you're, you're really banking, not on drafting the best possible guys in the first like six rounds. I think you're, you're banking on drafting the right guys later in the rounds because you uh, are going to have to play guys that normally in other leagues would be on your bench. You know, you're, you're playing, you know, KJ Osborne's on a weekly mm-hmm. basis, no yeah. matter what, because you have so many other guys that are drafting, which means you are having less access to the big uh, pool of players. So I'd say 12 team is the most, for me, is the most balanced. I, I, I have a, a nice 10 team uh, dynasty league I'm in and I posted on Twitter and everybody's like, how, how? And I'm like, well, a lot of trading and it's a 10 team league. And they're like, oh, well, you know, which doesn't change the world of things, but, but it does when you have two extra guys in a 12 team league taking away players from everybody else, you know? So I'd say 12 team for me personally is the most balanced and usually my go-to. I just filled a, a redraft league today and I could have made it a 10 team and I just kept pushing for a 12 team. And I like uh, scouted some people off the streets here and got it going. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I think 12 man has really become the the standardized format that everyone typically drafts from. If I'm going to be in a 10 man, I want to mess with the rosters a little bit. I want to give you like two starting running backs, two starting receivers and make it so you don't always get to put your best players and you have to make those tough decisions to really level out the playing field. I think that makes the most sense. And maybe you switch out one of those wide receivers for a, a wide receiver, running back, tight end flex position to really get the most versatility and strategic thought processes in but it's really gone through a whole process this is my first year in a 16-man league uh, i got in with our buddy kevin on twitter he's uh i got in his league so this is gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be different like you said we're talking about guys that you don't ever really start that you're heavy yeah. hoping hopefully hoping have some some breakout weeks so i'm interested to see how that works out but i definitely agree that 12 has become the the norm and what most people talk about and what most people mock with most people actually draft with. And that, that really has been the, especially in these best ball leagues, like best ball now has come in and it's mostly just 12 team. Like that's actually, it's all it is actually from what I remember. I've never done anything. That's not 12 team or yeah, 12 man team. So yeah, it's uh kind of as the more things change, the more things eventually stay the same, that they find a course. And in this media, this medium, and they find a way to keep the level playing ground so we can all kind of, talk about things and idealize what it all looks like at the end. And when it comes down to this draft strategy, like people always talk about draft strategies, how you're going to attack a draft and having this such and such going in, having your players picked out. Honestly, I'm going to tell you, I've never once gone into a draft with bump, bump, like with my picks made for, for me based off this number. I always, I yeah. always, I always try to be what they say fluid, you know, just let everything happen as it goes Know your roster spots, know the players that you find value in, just let that fall to you and go that way. So when we talk about draft strategies, I want to talk a little bit about the quarterback position because it is the po- the position that gets you the most points. And specifically in these one quarterback leads for redraft, which typically is what you're going to find, when do you start looking at attacking that quarterback position? Because, you know, Josh Allen is going on his third year now trying to get that quarterback one spot. Does he offer the, that type of you have to reach for him? Do you want to let it fall? Like, how do you go about attacking that quarterback position? 
Yeah, for uh, one of the things I'll probably say like over and over again is, is to play your board because I feel mm -hmm. like um, some leagues somebody might take Josh Allen in the the first round, and then some leagues he might go in like the third round. You know, um, and you'll see sometimes too when a quarterback goes, uh, some other guy, especially in your home leagues, like mm -hmm. one guy takes Josh Allen, and then it's like the next picks Mahomes, and the next picks yeah. Herbert. As far as ADP goes. You, you really have to kind of weigh out how you want to build your team, first of all. And then second of all, you're taking that quarterback over several players that can fill out the rest of your roster. So, for instance, Josh Allen, his ADP right now, uh, according to Fantasy Pros, is, is pick 25. So you're taking Josh Allen over Mike Evans and A.J. Brown, just for example. Mahomes goes at pick 34. You take him. We just mentioned Pitts. You take him yeah. over Kyle Pitts. Herbert at 36. You take him over Pittman and Deontay. So you just kind of... I guess you have to weigh out, you know, am I willing to take a quarterback over a certain group of players? And maybe a guy falls to you in your draft and you're like, hey, you know what, Josh Allen, QB1, and for fantasy, two years in a row. But then a guy falls to you that shouldn't be at your pick and you're like, I, I can't pass on this guy. You know, I can wait. So yeah. for, for me, I like to... I like to identify two different types of players personally. I, I, I uh, in my guide, I, I wrote about um, different upside categories, passing upside and rushing upside. I like to target guys at the QB position that I don't have to pay the premium price of Josh Allen for that I feel like have a shot at finishing as the QB one. So maybe mm -hmm. some dark horse guys. So maybe you're, you know, uh, like a Jalen Hurts. I like Jalen Hurts a lot. You know, I like, I still like Lamar Jackson a lot. What you pay for those guys, you don't have to pay. Uh, the same price for um, as you would for Josh Allen. But uh, I think that that's a factor. I like the rushing quarterbacks because I feel like if they're having a bad passing day that they can um, have a little bit of safety if they use their legs. You know, you got guys also like Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford that uh, provide some upside through the air and their prices are, are, are a lot different than Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. So I think I, I just try to identify target wise guys that I feel like can have the range of outcomes as a, as a top five quarterback and then kind of play my board at the same time. If, if quarterbacks are flying off the board, then maybe I have to go a little bit earlier than um, I want it to. If people are waiting on quarterbacks and I can, I can also wait longer and longer and longer because if Mahomes is still on the board and I don't really want Mahomes, I can wait for my Herbert or for Hertz or Lamar Jackson even longer just because I know that, um, the board is just flowing that way. So, uh, just on a qu quarterback tangent there, that's kind of how I, my mind is like flowing with that topic. No, that makes sense. And I think that's the, one of the bigger points to take away for someone who really is getting into drafting more and drafting a lot more teams than you're used to drafting is definitely pay attention to the board, especially at that quarterback position, quarterback and tight end, I think are the two spots based on positional scarcity at the top that you can really pay attention and how it goes like if, if a run's going then you probably have to pay attention to the quarterbacks coming up towards your spot same same for tight end early on in the first round you're going to see tight end probably travis kelsey maybe mark andrews go in that back half of the first and then if second comes around and you see boom kyle pitts boom george kittle you might have to start thinking about taking one of those top five guys to lock into your roster but like you talked a little bit about at the with the quarterbacks from Josh Allen, who's, like I said, quarterback overall pick 25, just to Tom Brady. That's from quarterback one to quarterback nine. Overall 25 from Josh Allen to overall 93, or excuse me, 87 to Tom Brady. That's a that's a very big difference in a guy who finished QB3 last year, if I'm not mistaken. Tom Brady did. And 
we're expecting, at least I'm expecting Tom Brady to continue to throw a lot of touchdown passes this year. So he's going to have that type of top three, top four, top five upside, and you're getting him far later in your draft. So always paying attention to that quarterback run, how they're going to fall, and identifying the players, whether it's Jalen Hurts at quarterback eight with his rushing upside or Tom Brady with the passing touchdown upside, how you're going to be able to stack your quarterbacks properly and, and get into finding the best players in your position, filling out your roster, and then attacking quarterbacks. So that really brings us into the next point, which is running backs. There's so many different opinions on running backs and so many different strategies, whether it's zero running back, hero running back, you know, bully running back, robust running back. There's so many different terms they have for attacking running back position in drafts. When you are, you know, going through your drafts and going through your your guys, how do you look at the running back position and do you really typically like to attack them in the first round? Or are you just kind of like fluid? You don't really care? Or do you really want to hammer those guys in the second, third, and fourth? I personally, I think for, for me, it's important to have one guy that I think can be probably a top five running back for mm-hmm. me because we've seen historically, if you hit on your first round running back, I think it gives you a very, very big boost to be a contender in your league. If you hit on Jonathan Taylor, this past season, who wasn't drafted number one, if mm-hmm. you hit on him, you had a massive boost because, you know, there's some other guys injured, you know, injuries are a big thing with running backs, yeah. but it was a separating factor. And, you know, if you hit on Christian McCaffrey when he was uh, the running back one, not super long ago, it was it was a separating factor. So I, I do typically like to take a guy in the first, but it kind of depends on, it kind of also depends on where what my draft position is. You know, if I'm, yeah. if I'm pick, 10 let's say in for uh you know my wide receiver one for this coming season is justin jefferson if justin jefferson's there at pick 10 then maybe my strategy now is hey i can't let justin jefferson who should have went at pick six Mm -hmm. fall past pick 10 i'm gonna take you know him there and then my next two picks i I need to solidify my running back position i i'm pretty big on pounding the running back in 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 redraft you know dynasty is different because the longevity of having a stud yeah. running back is much smaller of a window than wide receiver. But for redraft, I think it's pretty important. I, you know, I know there's injuries all the time in the running back position, but if you were to ask me, you know, how many running backs have the the range of outcomes to be top five? I, I think that list is so much smaller than how many wide receivers have the range of outcomes to be top five. I think it's just a deeper position. So when a position is deeper with the wide receivers, I'm not saying fade wide receivers, but mm-hmm. I'm saying you have a little bit more flexibility to, you know, wait maybe to the third round or maybe the second round and then, you know, stagger them like that than you would for the running back position. Because I think if you look at tiers of running backs, there's some big drops of of groups of running backs if you fade them too long you know everybody talks lately about like the running back dead zone um and and, you know it's not something i've like overstressed or anything but if that's your running back one and running back two are guys like you know i i I don't know like uh jacobs and elijah mitchell i think they both can have a good season but i think i'd rather have at least one guy know is going to get me my 15 fantasy points a week and then we can you know talk about the rb2 later so uh all in all I like to make sure I have at least a solidified stud. I typically pound the running back position just because of the depth of the wide receivers. And I do think it's important because we see what happens when you hit on the right running back. Yeah, I think I've been a little bit more geared towards that hero RB, they call it. You take that one guy and then you look later for someone who's supposed to 
be a much better player. We've seen the last couple of seasons where you you get that first that first second round running back, and then you look for the guy who whether it's a rookie or a second year player that's going to come out and have a really really good season and solidify themselves as a top ten running back this season. That typically is how you do it. When I was this was 2017, so it was Kareem Hunt's first year. I drafted him and actually picked him up on the waiver wire the very first week, uh, right right before Spencer Ware or right after Spencer Ware got hurt. That's how you win fantasy leagues. Like these these running backs that through no fault of their own, become workhorses or they get traded. For example, this year, let's say Kareem Hunt gets traded to the New Orleans Saints because Alvin Kamara is going to mix, miss however many games or wherever he ends up getting traded. His value now becomes much more different because he's a guy who's going to start on a lot of different teams, but he's currently, uh, he's going running back 30 right now. Like So that immediately is going to make his value bump up. And if you picked him as your second or third running back, it's going to make him that much more valuable. So always trying to identify they call it, like you said the running back dead zone really after uh, in my opinion we're talking about after Zeke Elliott at, at running back 17 and David Montgomery at 18 that's really where it starts it's really kind of feeling in there you have guys above him Saquon uh, we're going to get into a little bit a little, little bit more of this later but that dead zone is trying to traverse it gets harder and harder every year as, as running backs get heard and, and more this running back by committee becomes such a huge thing in the NFL. We've really seen that take over the last few years and make those top of the market guys like Najee Harris is going to get a ton of, ton of touches and Christian McCaffrey's and Jonathan Taylor's become scarce. So they really push them up the draft boards and really make it more difficult for those that are in the back half of that first round to hit on some of those running backs. So I'm, I'm with you in that part. Sometimes I just don't even I don't even worry about a running back in the first even three rounds. Just I those mm-hmm. wide receivers just they start to get to the point where I, I just can't like you said earlier, if Justin Jefferson's there at the back half, I can't not can't pass on him. I'm gonna take him. And that's that, that, that does happen to me quite a few times where the guys that I'm I have ranked higher than the running backs, I just have to take them. So it's always it's always changing different drafts, different players, and these running backs, there's just so many different ways to kind of facilitate running back production that it can be looking for a pass-catching running back later in the draft that you can facilitate some of those those points with. So it's it's such a fun, dynamic position to really talk about with the way that it's changing and being used in the NFL and really kind of trickling down to the fantasy football community that there's I don't think there's any wrong way to go about it, but at the end of the day, finding those guys is is how you end up winning your drafts, or winning your leagues for the most part is finding those running backs. So now let's talk about first round strategy completely, because like you said, yes, being fluid, being waiting, seeing how the board turns out. Obviously there's three different positions that we talk about. Why just you have running back and at the back half tight end when let's say you're at the, the 10th or the ninth spot. Is this when you're starting to look at that tight end and say, Maybe based on positional scarcity, I'm starting to target some of these guys, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews. Is, is that something that you typically do in the first round, or do you rather go running back or wide receiver? I think I think it's fair to take like a Kelsey at the end of the first round. I think it's completely fair. And if somebody did it, I wouldn't be surprised, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. knock it at all because we, we know that having – a Travis Kelsey or a Mark Andrews like last year versus the tight end seven, that's a huge difference. And we think, hey, they're they're both top tight, you know, top ten tight mm-hmm. ends at the end of the day. But it's it's different in the tight end world where yeah. you know the top three guys, their points per game are much different than the next 
four or five guys, then it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller to where you're, you know, top 12 uh, tight end right at the end is averaging like nothing that matters. Um, yeah. But um, I typically don't. I, I, I think that it could be a good way to separate yourself by having a Kelsey or um, an Andrews, but I think I, I'm, I'm looking at who's falling. And again, we mentioned like Jefferson, um, there's running backs that I think will get pushed down the board a little bit this year because I, I still think that Cooper Cup's going to be drafted super high. I think he's going to be like a top five pick in, in some leagues. And then I think Justin Jefferson, there's a chance that he is a top seven pick. And then maybe somebody bites on Devonta Adams and maybe somebody takes uh, digs mm-hmm. a little bit earlier. So if I'm at that 10 spot, I think that's the perfect spot to look at who's available and how you can build your team. Because if I'm at that 10 spot, I can just look and say, Hey, maybe I, maybe I'm going to take that elite tight end on the wraparound. Maybe I'm going to take, um, I don't know the best available running back. And then I know on the wraparound when it comes back to me in a couple picks, then Andrews is floating there. And then I, I do take that tight end, but I think I'd rather take the best positional player that falls to me at like the end of the first round Verse like being the first one to draft the tight end. And again, I don't knock people that do, but I think that in your first round, people are going to be making some very, very important decisions for mm-hmm. their team. And sometimes people bite on guys too early. And sometimes guys that uh, are there at the end of the first should not have been there. There might be like a, uh, I don't know, maybe like a Najee Harris right at the end that you think should have went number five or something, but he's there at 10. So uh, I, I know we've said it before and it sounds like, you know, generic to say, but uh, play your board. And and I think the end of the first is just really, hey, this guy shouldn't have came to me. And then in the second round, now we can determine, hey, do I want to pound two running backs? Do I want to go anchor running back and then, you know, stud wide receiver that fell in the second round? Or do I want to solidify that tight end position? I think if you're at the end of a draft, that second round pick, you're so flexible to do mm-hmm. um, what you want to build your team. Uh, just like rambling there about that one, but <laughs> so I want to propose a little scenario. This scenario, sure. you've got Joe Mixon on the board at your pick 10, you know, Joe Mixon, Stefan Diggs, Travis Kelsey in that scenario for me personally, like I think there's a, a very clear way that you would lean. And there's two players, at least for me, cause I'm a, I'm a big tight end at the end of the first kind of guy. So I would yeah, go, yeah. I'd be leaning Kelsey or Mixon, I don't know, pass on Diggs. How do you feel about that kind of scenario playing out? And do you lean more towards the Joe Mixon in that scenario? I think it's going to be a personal uh, decision because you might have Joe Mixon as your, you know, running back four, and I might have him as my running back nine for this coming season. So I'm I asking think you, which you, what would you do in that given scenario? I, I would, in, in that specific scenario, yeah. I would take Travis Kelsey because I, I don't yeah. think that I, I, I know what Joe Mixon did last season, but I think Kelsey's going to help my team more than Joe Mixon will, and I think in the second round. Uh, you mentioned digs. Maybe I can say, hey, did nobody, no, you know, the 11 and the 12 spots not going to bite on digs. I think the 11 or 12 spot will bite on Travis Kelsey. You know, when I, when it comes back to me in the second round, maybe I have Aaron Jones or something above Joe Mixon yeah. and yeah. I can just take Kelsey there. Uh, and then on the wraparound, I'm taking a running back who I already had higher than the one available. So that specific scenario, I think I, I, I would take Kelsey out of the the group there. Yeah, I like it. Trying to you're always trying to figure out what they're gonna do. Like, and it, yeah. it makes it, it makes it so much fun, especially at the back half. There's drafts where I've gotten Devonte Adams and, and and Travis Kelsey 
on that like 10 at the 10 spot in a lot of yeah. the drafts. So there's always going to be ways to to navigate trying to predict what they're going to do. That's the really the unspoken strategies trying to predict what's going to happen behind you you because we always know we talk about snipes but you're trying to find out how the guys after you are drafting just as much as the ones in front of you that they're going to get the guys that you don't get so now we're going to go into a little bit of talking about some players that we like this year at their adps this is for those who don't know adp is average draft position and we've been saying it a lot so i figured i may as well throw it out there if you're getting kind of confused by it so we'll go into each position quarterback running back wide receiver tight end talk about some of the players that we like and let's start at the top quarterback position who are some of the players right now given their adp that you prefer that like those upside plays in 2022 so i'm gonna uh, uh steal a guy that i think you mentioned earlier um go just for it. talking before the show or maybe you threw it on like a specific sheet that i'm looking at now but i i did I did list uh, uh, Tua on my draft guide as a breakout, and and I truly do believe that he will be a breakout. I I had a tweet the other day that uh, was about Jimmy G, and I was like, hey, Jimmy G was number 12 in passing yards, but he was number 24 in air yards. Yeah, How is that a thing? <laughs> and it was because of the yards after catch that Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle provided Jimmy G. So he put the ball in their hands and they gave him extended yards so that he was a top 12 quarterback in, in passing yards. And to me, that sounds so similar to Tua's situation in Miami, where he has two guys specifically that are yards after the catch monsters in Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. Uh, he's got a new head coach and OC that really liked Tua. They added not just Hill, but Teron Armstead for the offensive line. They added a couple running backs to the mix. You got him uh, year two with Waddle after a great year one. Tyree Kill is one of the most explosive players in the league. Gusecki was very serviceable for the tight end position. I think dynamic playmakers for Tua is going to give him some big yardage days and the potential for some upside in the touchdown department, especially seeing that, you know, according to player profiler, he's number three an accuracy rating number one in deep ball completion percentage and number two in red zone accuracy. So if he is competent, like I believe he is, he's just got to get the ball into his playmakers hands and then everything else for fantasy points just goes up. So I, I do think Tua is going to be a breakout this season. Yeah, I was on the Tua bandwagon last year. I thought he was to take a step forward and then everything kind of came crashing down because the Miami Dolphins just weren't very good. They didn't have a very good offensive line and that was one of the bigger problems last year. And I think that this year, like you talked about, Tarn Armstead, they have a lot of guys coming in this year in terms of having that collectivity. They're having a lot of guys that had last year Andrew Thomas is getting better he's finally starting to take some steps forward at that tackle position you have Liam Eikenberg who's going to be kicked into that inside spot actually be a guard this year they're going to have some continuity on the offensive line I think it's going to be extremely important getting some of that run scheme in there that Mike McDaniels to bring over from San Francisco is going to help air out some of these things and you, you did mention Gusecki he's never going to be George Kittle so don't people if you if you're, you're listening to this and you think that that's possible in this offense. Gesicki can't block. He can't do much after the catch like George Kittle can. You can see him down the seam, getting down, getting down there, getting some contested catches. Probably not going to be the most George Kittle-like player. He's still probably going to be a, a decent tight end this year in terms of rankings. But 
Gesicki definitely has more of a, I think, touchdown upside this year than people typically give him credit for. He's going to be one of those red zone targets, I think, for uh, Tua. And that touchdown regression is coming, like you said. It is. Yeah. It's coming. He's going to throw some touchdowns this year. I'm a Trevor Lawrence backer this year. I know that the offensive weaponry isn't the best still. They have brought in overpaid Christian Kirk, Zay Jones as well. They're still going to have some of the players from last year, Marvin Jones, LaVishka Chanel is, is someone that a lot of people don't want. They don't want to touch him because he's burned in the last couple of years. I think that having an adult in the room, surprisingly enough, Doug Peterson is going to be an adult in this entire room. We're not talking about the situation last year. I don't even want to say his name. I don't want to do it. I want to bring it to light. But you've already seen this is the first day after that we're recording this of actual training camp it opened yesterday we talked there's been lots of shots fired at that that man that was the head coach last year in jacksonville talking about how it's a much more professional setting i think that's exactly what doug peterson wanted to do and it set him up perfectly travis Etienne's, you know gonna have a good season with his quarterback trevor lawrence and i really think that last year he was forcing a lot of things he had to force a lot of things trying to make plays trying to bring this team out of the depths of losing all the time through a ton of picks because of it right now he's quarterback 18 and i really see the potential i'm not gonna say he's gonna hit hit it he's gonna has potential for a top 10 upside because not only is he actually an extremely gifted quarterback he's one of the more underrated rushers in the nfl he's got extremely long the dude just gets down the field it's it's, it's weird to watch he's like six six but when he runs he just he finds ways he sees the field extremely well and I know that he he was actually top five last year in rushing attempts. Everyone quarterbacks, it's not going to be the same this year. He was more running for his life, but he's got the legs to be able to take advantage of space in front of him. I think he'll score more touchdowns on the ground this year. So I like Trevor Lawrence a lot. Yeah, Lawrence, I think uh, he's been a guy I've been um, just so back and forth on just because I thought, you know, I thought last year the situation, the head coach, you know, if you look at his his pass catchers, not yeah. super super great. Um, but I also think that some things are a little bit scapegoated because he he was pretty pretty bad in some of those games too. Oh, but he was. but I will say I you know I I looked at a not a study, but I was looking at um, uh, quarterbacks that uh, couldn't hit three hundred rushing yards, and I think uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned it already. I think people forget that this guy's pretty mobile even year yeah. one he was over 300 rushing yards i think he'll have more rushing yards in year two i think you know we look at this system he didn't get a tyree kill like tua did yeah. but i think that they add him you know added several pieces that are going to be little cushions around him just because i think that they're all going to be pretty you know effective and and, and play the role christian kirk's going to play a certain role you mentioned zay jones i actually like zay jones a lot mm -hmm. uh, evan ingram his you know etienne is back uh, even like randomly tread treadwell might, might you know pop yeah. up something like that because he did last season but um I, I think I think Lawrence is a guy that people have been pretty out on and he's gonna slip mm -hmm. down draft boards but I think he's in a good position to have a big jump in in year two how how big of a jump it is for fantasy we'll, we'll see but again the rushing yards the added um added pieces in the offense and the the head coaching change are all boxes you want checked for what was wrong with the system last year exactly i think that's what we're looking for when we talk about these upside guys and i really yeah. do think getting that that second year finally getting his head on straight and I, I i really think doug peterson sees a little bit of early can uh carson wince in what 
Trevor Lawrence can do with the arm, the, the downfield throwing. I think that Christian Kirk's going to be a good element to this offense out of the slot. You have Marvin Jones on the outside with Zay Jones as well to be able to help control some of that downfield presence. You can get Kirk, you can get even, you know, Chanel out of the backfield. You can do a little bit of that too. So I'm interested to see what they do with him. That takes us into the running back position because like we talked about, this is one of those areas we're trying to find upside and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. So what is one guy that you're really, really looking at as a, an upside play at the running back position in 2022? So uh, one, one guy, I'll, I'll talk about this guy a little bit more. I do do want to just like briefly mention that, you know, guys like uh, uh, we mentioned Travis Etienne, yeah. uh, running back 22, really like the upside for him because I think he's got a good connection with his his quarterback uh, who he had a very nice college career with, and he's got the pass catching upside. I like Chase Edmonds is a guy that, um, can win the role and have the most touches in Miami. We already yeah. talked about Miami, and I think he's going to touch the football the most. He got paid. Uh, he provides some nice PPR points, so I like Chase Edmonds. Uh, Brees Hall is a guy I, I, I just want to jump into a little bit here just because he is being drafted right now as the RB21, and I think that I'm not going to say he's going to have like a Najee season because I don't think he's going to yeah. have the snap percentage that, that Najee had or the total touches Najee had, but – Brees Hall, the Jets went and traded up in the second to go and get him. So, obviously, they wanted him pretty bad. You know, looking at his college career, 3,941 rushing yards, 82 receptions, and 56 total touchdowns. It's the profile of a, of a workhorse. Yep. Uh, and he left a big mark. He had a consecutive touchdown record with the uh, in the NCAA with uh, 24 straight games, back-to-back Heisman finalists. And I said before the season I wanted – I wanted Brees Hall to be in three different spots, and I'm sure people, you know, will argue with my spots, but I wanted him either with the Texans because I knew he was going to touch the ball a ton, the Bills because the offense was so good and he can just take over that offense uh, for the backfield, or the Jets. And I think the Jets are a growing offense. I'm not going to say that they're going to, you know, go to the playoffs and win a Super Bowl in the next year or two, but I think just looking at Brees Hall's prospect profile, looking at um, his ability on the ground and through the air. Michael Carter was a complimentary back at North Carolina. If you look at their two bills, they're two very different guys. And I don't think it's as big of a committee as people kind of fear it's going to be. So I think RB 21, I think he's going to have some, some pretty big upside just in the sense of being able to catch the football and being on, being on the field a ton. So I, I really do like Brees Hall uh, higher than consensus right now. I understand that. I was never a big Brees Hall fan. I wasn't a big fan of his tape coming out. I think that he, a lot of people got caught up in the highlight reel plays and he had some vision issues on field. He goes down in open field more than he should, in my opinion. But the biggest reason I am with you is because you look at the offensive line. And I think that this is one of the areas that people tend to overlook in fantasy. It's not easy to, to know offensive line play and getting all that stuff in. But what they did, bringing in Lake and Tomlinson, who's arguably a top five, top six guard, left guard has position. They have Mekhi Becton being now solidified at the right tackle position. He looks he looks way better than he did last year. He's in shape. He's been working with Duke Mannyweather. And George Fant last year played really, really good at left, left tackle after he moved over from right tackle to play left tackle to protect Zach Wilson's blind side. They have a legitimate chance to be a top 10 offensive line this year. They drafted eight, you know, Elijah Veritecker last year in the top in, in the first round. He's going to be their right guard. And Connor McGovern has been a very good center for them over the last couple of years already. So the, the fact that they have a continuity with some of the pieces they brought in and then they have Lake and Tomlinson from San Francisco last year in a run heavy scheme, they're going to be able to at least complement 
what Brees Hall does well with this outside, outside zone scheme that they're going to run. And that's why I'm with you on that because he's that's the perfect scheme for Brees Hall. Let him get to the outside and then hit those cutback lanes. And then again, he's going to catch passes. I think Carter's going to cut in a little bit there because he's going to be more of a natural pass catcher with shiftiness in the open field. But Brees has got the profile body type to really be a workhorse running back. So I'm I'm with you on that because I'm I'm more of an offensive line nerd and I like to get in some of that that play myself. <clears throat> and one of the guys that uh that I'm really excited about because I think he has top five upside and he's being drafted at the running back 14 right now is Saquon Barkley. And I just I can't I can't get over what bringing Brian Dable in is going to do. I really think that not only we've seen you know Saquon finish as, as an RB1 already like the RB1 overall, period. He's done it before. So that's already in his prison. It's in his profile. I, I know that people are scared because he gets hurt. He was a freak injury last year. He already was looking way better than he did previously before coming off of his injury the second year removed. And then he has that freak injury. So I'm excited about the opportunity here because there's some good pass catchers, some Kim Young, Wondell Robinson, Kadarius Tony. I think that the ghost of Kenny Galladay might have some impact. We don't know what Sterling Shepard's going to look like this year coming off of an Achilles injury. I know he's not on the pup list right now, but it doesn't just take everyone the same amount of time to come back from Achilles injuries. So there's some questions with the receivers there, some questions at the tight end position. There's no question that Saquon Barkley is going to be the workhorse in this offense at the running back position. And I really think that you could see close to 100-plus targets for him this year, especially I, I'm a believer that the offensive line is going to be better, but you never know. Uh, quarterbacks kind of get into their their wit, set in their ways sometimes. I think that being a relief valve for Daniel Jones isn't the worst thing that can happen to uh, Saquon Barkley. So at, at running back 14 right now, I think he's going to have top five upside this year, stays healthy on the field, and, and that's what he's going to do. So I'm, I'm really excited about the possibility of Saquon finishing as a top five back this year. Yeah, I'm uh, completely with you on Saquon Barkley, and I think people just get um... – very caught up in their fantasy seasons, and that's what provides takes sometimes. I think people, you know, uh, get upset that certain guys that they invest in mm -hmm. get injured, and then we get this weird line of like injured. At, I, I've said this so many times: um, injured at football, injured at football versus bad at football. Yeah, and I think yeah. people kind of cross those wires all the time. Where you know, we we talk about you know Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley, who's missed plenty of time the last two seasons, and people try to like twist it into uh, they're not good at football. No, they're just injured at football. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned last year we we got a glimpse of Barkley uh, weeks three and four. He had eleven catches across those two games, and he had three total touchdowns. He scored over twenty fantasy points uh, in each of those two weeks, and then he got hurt the next week, and it was a freak injury. It wasn't like you know yeah. it's the same lingering. You know, I don't know, ankle thing going on or something like that. Exactly. But Saquon Barkley, I think if you were to, again, survey people and say, who can finish as the RB1 this year? Who has that in their, their potential range of outcomes? I think it's hard in a world where he is completely healthy to say mm -hmm. that he can't because he is one of the most athletic running backs out there. You look at his build, he, he catches a ton of passes and, and I'm all for Barkley because we once thought of him as the dynasty RB one or dynasty yep. RB two, this generational talent. And just because he got hurt, that shouldn't really change those things. Plus he's further away from that ACL injury that he had. Exactly, exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I think he, he's actually a guy I think I have firmly inside my top 12 and I think I, had him at like 11, and I think that's too low. I think it's too low. I think, he, I think he's got top five upside, like you said. 
it's it's so much fun talking about guys that are being drafted that that low that could really realistically finish in top five. And I think Saquon, yeah. even to an extent, Brees Hall, especially if you see a Michael Carter injury, we're talking about a guy who's not going to come off the field. So there's some sneaky upside there for top five guys. Now we're going to go from a position who's which, which is kind of concentrated at the top to one that's just it's, it's everywhere. Wide receivers finishing are going to be so all over the place and trying to find those diamonds in the rough are going to be part of winning your fantasy league. So take a couple minutes here, a couple different wide receivers. We're not going to stick to one because the position is so full of players and talk about a couple of guys you really like at their, uh, at their ADPs. Sure. Um, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll fly through the the first two and then maybe talk a little bit more on the third yeah. one here, but uh, really like, I really like Drake London. I, I know you you were on a, uh, my show when we did a rookie mm-hmm. mock draft, but uh, wide receiver 39. He was my wide receiver one before the draft, and he was drafted as the first wide receiver in yep. 2022. Uh, 92.4 PFF receiving grade. He had insane volume across, I think, eight games. Yeah, eight Ridiculous. games. He had 88 recept- receptions, <laughs> 1,084 receiving yards, and seven touchdowns in eight games. So we're talking about, you know, about a guy who had – an elite breakout age, elite volume share, super efficient on his runs. The situation is murky, but Drake London is going to see 120 plus targets. There's really nobody else outside of him and Kyle Pitts in this offense. And uh, volume, you know, volume is king when it comes to fantasy. And I actually looked at a uh, a group of of data or a bunch of data today, looking at uh, rookie wide receivers drafted in the first two rounds, where their ADP was. Uh, and where they finished in that um, specific year. And uh, looking at guys that um, had an ADP in the top 50, 71% of them beat their ADP. So mm-hmm. I, I think that just tells us sometimes that we are too low in redraft for uh, rookies, especially guys that are being drafted kind of high, but we don't want to go too high on them. And I, I really do like Drake London just because of the the insane volume and uh, his prospect profile I thought was excellent. And uh, another guy on the list here, Kadarius Toney. Um, I, I, I've been talking myself into him a little bit more. Wide receiver 47 with the potential to be the wide receiver one for New York. And, you know, I, yeah. I, when I'm juggling guys later in the draft and that's and that's a possibility, I'm like, you know, who can, who can potentially be their team's highest scoring fantasy wide receiver. And I think he has that opportunity, but he's being drafted close to 50. So, you know, I don't mind throwing that dart on Kadarius Tony. And the last guy, uh, not his team's wide receiver one, but I do like Jahan Dotson a lot. I, mm-hmm. I think he's he's my, last year I liked Elijah Moore a ton. This year he's my, like, Elijah Moore. He's not Jamar Chase or Drake, you know, Drake Lennon, that yeah. clear wide receiver one. He's like the, the later guy. And Dotson, career-wise, or this past season, uh, number 18 in receiving yards in all of college football, number 12 in receptions, tied for number eight in receiving touchdowns. Uh, Again, that's all of college football, 91 receptions for uh, over 1,100 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns. He averaged 98.5 yards per game. I checked out Matt Harmon's reception perception. He said that Dotson had the best hands in the draft with the lowest drop rate and ranked fourth in contested catch rate. Uh, Harmon also said that he was the best zone beater in the class with a 96 percentile success rate. So, you know, Dotson has the catch and run playmaking abilities with solid speed. Some Mm -hmm. people knock his, his physical stature, but you know, the same people that knock Dotson size, like love Hollywood Brown and Hollywood (laughs) Brown is shorter and lighter than Jahan Dotson. So I think he has a good chance to be that wide receiver too. Uh, for the commanders behind Terry McLaurin. And right now he's being drafted as the wide receiver 64 
I don't think he's yeah. going to be like a top 15 guy, but I think he's going to potentially have some nice flex value, which can be beneficial if you are drafting him 10 spots away from that 64. So that's my rant on wide receivers. You know, Jahan Dotson was always a fun study when he's coming out of Penn State. The guy is small. He's a smaller receiver, but he plays so much bigger than he actually is. And that's why I loved seeing him just, just watching his tape. It's a lot of fun to see a guy who's like, what? I think he's 5'9", 5'10". He's in that area, but he plays like he's six foot one. He always goes and finds the ball. And those numbers about, like you brought up from Matt Harmon, make so much sense because he doesn't drop anything. If it's in anywhere around his catch radius, he brings it in. It's a touchdown. He just knows how to do it. He has, I think he's got more yak potential than a lot of other people seem to think. He's not like a, he's not a Tyree Kill, he's not a Jalen Waddle, but he has some make you miss and acceleration. I think that's more important than just the the take it to the house ability that you see from a lot of these wide receivers. You can the acceleration right after that that's that what we call reacceleration. After you catch it, you make somebody miss. That reacceleration is so important, cutting down angles and finding ways into open field. So I like that. I think Carson Wentz is going to be a marginal upgrade. In Washington, he's going to get some downfield presence, but I do think getting the ball out quickly is going to be very important to the success of Carson Wentz, and Jahan Dotson is a player that can do that. So I really like that call, and you brought up Elijah more quickly. He's one of my guys that I absolutely love this year. I think he's primed to have an extremely good season. He was... It was a weird season from last year, not just the injuries, but basically not playing with Zach Wilson at all. His best, his best game came with Joe Flacco as his quarterback. He played with Josh Johnson, you know, Mike White, Joe Flacco. He had such a carousel of quarterbacks to play with last year, and he was just good when he was on the field. And that's the biggest and biggest and most important thing about Elijah Moore is that he's got that not just making miss ability in the open field, but the true home run hitting ability. He could take it to the house from pretty much anywhere on the field, getting the ball out of the, again out of Zach Wilson's hands important get him in a rhythm i think you can do that with elijah moore i know that there's some competition with garrett wilson being drafted in the top 10 or not the top 10 in the first round this past year but there's i'm not gonna put too much into camp reports right now but i'm more of the opinion that garrett wilson's gonna take some time to develop into that true number one receiver that they expect him to be and i think that elijah moore is primed this year to have a much better year than a wide receiver 34 he's being drafted a wide receiver 34 i just can't i really can't get on board that if you guys go to my twitter page at in arms way 19 just read my little my little bio it says draft elijah moore no matter what I'm always drafting elijah moore every time i can get him anywhere above his close to his adp i'm snagging him because of the true raw upside and he can play on the outside he can play on the outside in a in a system that's going to be friendly to wide receivers with their run game their offensive line is going to let jet we talked a little bit about already zach wilson's going to have a little bit more time i'm assuming again assuming that he takes some steps forward in his mental processing there were some nice things on film from zach wilson last year a lot of it came at a cost because his mental game got sped up with the offensive line issues that they had last year the injuries all the different issues he had to deal with and then the revolving door wide receiver as well injuries there so i'm hoping that the collective offense in new york gets better but elijah moore's gonna be a big, a big big part of that you kind of talked about hollywood brown he's another guy i'm marginally excited about this year with a healthy kyler murray all season i think that he can be a true deep threat in that offense on the outside not from the slot so i like him as well as wide receiver 21 yeah i think he's just you know stepping into uh I think the plan was for him to step into a role where he was going to get a lot of work, but now his role is like super emphasized just because yeah. it's probably going to be him and, and Zach Ertz. And you might see 
some Rondale, and you might see some A.J. Green in there too. But I think that the importance of what he needs to do while Hopkins is out is going to be uh, even more yeah. stressed. Not that he wasn't get, you know, going to get the ball enough uh, um, beforehand. But Elijah Moore's uh, one of my guys, if I had to make a list of like my absolute – uh, draft must draft guys. Yeah. It's been Elijah Moore the last two years for me. As soon as, um, as soon as he was on the Jets and had his number, I think I bought his jersey like instantly. <laughs> like I was all about Elijah Moore. And I, you, you mentioned his performances with uh, Jets quarterbacks. I think it was like three, uh, like twenty something point games yeah. with four different Jets quarterbacks. <laughs> and, and people will say, well, none of those. You know, he didn't have consistent big games with Zach Wilson, but Zach Wilson is a better quarterback than all of those other guys that he did yeah. have those big games with. And I think Elijah Moore, I think some people thought that he was best suited as a uh, a number two option in an offense. But if you look at his, his last season in college, all he did every game, I think he averaged like 10 catches a game or something like that. He just yeah. had insane volume and he was the dude in that uh, Ole Miss system. So uh, Elijah Moore, I think, is the guy we've seen have the, like you said, ability to line up in multiple positions. He was scoring, and he was just performing, and it was unfortunate that he had that injury at the end of the season because maybe we would have talked about him as high as people were, you know, talking about uh, Amon Ross St. Brown or something is because he was yeah. having those 20-point fantasy weeks, but it got cut off, you know, before the fantasy playoffs. So I am all in on uh, Elijah Moore as well. I think that's a great call. All right, so this takes us to the last position that we're going to talk about, the tight end position. This is this is fun. The tight end is after the, the top five guys, quite literally anybody could finish anywhere, and I would almost have no surprise. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. So give me one of your favorite tight ends to draft at their ADP this year that you think can actually make an impact and a difference in your fantasy game. So my, I, I'm just going to go over uh, just briefly my kind of draft uh, strategy for tight ends this year. I'm either going to, like we talked about it earlier, I'm going to have to pull the trigger on Kelsey yeah. or Andrews. Then I think I'm going to wait. I think I'm going to wait and not take uh, Waller or or Kittle, which I'm not saying that you shouldn't draft them, but I think I'm going to wait because I feel like, you know, I, I like Dalton Schultz as my like next, uh, I'll wait X amount of time and mm -hmm. go and grab him. And then if I, if I don't take Schultz, I think my next one that I'll wait a little bit more for is Zach Ertz. And then I'll wait a, a lot longer and I'll take Cole Komet. <laughs> and then if I completely punt it, I might look at guys super late, like uh, like a Hooper or an Ingram, or maybe like really, really just like bite the bullet with like a Brevin Jordan. My number one thing for tight ends, uh, and that's why I like Cole Komet so much. And that's why I like Schultz and Ertz this year. I, I want a guy that's going to have a consistent role in his offense mm -hmm. weekly in, in, in terms of target share. And that's why Kelsey and Andrews were so good last year because yep. every week you counted on high target volume. And with Schultz, uh, no Michael Gallup, maybe Tolbert steps up. He's going to have the opportunity to be the second most targeted player in his offense until yep. Gallup comes back. Zach Ertz is going to be this could have the second most targets because at the end of the season, he was seeing like 10, 11 and 13 yeah. target games. Ridiculous. He is going to be the second most targeted guy in his offense until Hopkins comes back. Cole Komet later on is going to be the second most targeted guy in his offense, potentially behind Darnell Mooney. And that's what I like to, uh, you know, target. We can target guys like, you know, I don't know, Albert O's and uh, David <laughs> and Doku's. I'm not saying nothing against those guys. They're like Gerald yeah. Everett's, like these guys that might have some athletic upside to them and touchdown upside. But I want guys that I can see having multiple 
you know, seven target weeks in a row and not have to worry about them falling into the end zone. So that's my overall like tight end strategy. Find those guys that have consistency and target share. That's awesome. I love that because it's the tight end position. Like it's such, such a volatile thing. Like it's going to be, that's really why we talk about the top five guys being such a big drop off after that. You can really kind of leverage your, your, your league having one of the top guys. And especially if you're talking about not punting and really maybe even going bully tight end in some positions, you can get a big advantage on the rest of you guys in your league, but having wide or excuse me, tight ends, excuse me, tight ends with that target share that, you know, are going to be involved every, every, they had that connection with their quarterback is the most important process in developing. Like you talk about just the two top guys, Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. They're their number one receivers for their quarterbacks. Like, that's just what it is. You, Terry Kill was on Kansas City last year. It wasn't him as the number one guy. It was Travis Kelsey. You know, Hollywood Brown in Baltimore, it was always Mark Andrews. So having that connection with their quarterback is so important. And that brings Kyle me Pitts to – I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, but I, 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 I am, like, obsessed with Kyle Pitts, and I did not yeah. mention Kyle Pitts, and that's so <laughs> off uh, so off my brand. But Kyle Pitts, <laughs> throw, throw him up there with the Kelsey and the Andrews for yes. the same point that you just said about being the team's number one target potentially. But, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, that, that's how they all are. I think even to an extent now, you know, Debo Samuel is probably the guy in San Francisco. He's about to get paid anyway. But George Kittle for the longest time was that guy. Even yeah. Darren Waller. Like that, That's what we're looking for. There's a guy that I'm going to talk about right now that I actually think could be that in New England and in, in Hunter Henry. I know he had nine touchdowns, which really brought him up to where he finished last year as tight end eight. But not only was it the touchdowns, I don't expect those to really go down. He's a huge red zone target for a young quarterback who developed a huge trust in him last year. Like th this was, he was still kind of duoing with Ju with John, John Smith last year to start the first four games off or whatever it was. And he's entering the year as he's going to be the guy. That's who's going to be the, the connection with, with Mac Jones is actually really, really special. They did a really good job last year, figuring each other out and understanding he had 74 targets last year, ended up catching 50 balls. I think that's going to go up to nearly hundred targets this year because of the way that I think Mac Jones is going to probably take the offense over a little bit more. I think he's going to be hopefully that we can ignore what the offensive coordinator situation happening in new England and just let you know Bill Belichick say, Hey, Mac, I know you had a good, good off season. I want you to come in and take control of the offense because I don't really want either of these two guys calling him any plays uh, well, i don't want matt patricia calling plays i don't want him doing anything with my quarterback so i think mac jones has, has identified the guy in that offense that he's going to go to not just to move the chains but to be a trusted player in that position right now he's being drafted at, at tight end 15 and um those he's the kind of guy that i'm looking for in that punt situation at tight end someone you can get especially with a high touchdown upside you, you mentioned cole Komet, a guy who caught zero touchdowns last year yeah. i assume he's not going to score zero touchdowns this year so he's another guy that i like as well again because of that target share that he's going to have we're talking these two guys potentially both having 100 plus targets in their respective offenses and i don't expect you know my uh, excuse me new england's defense to be bad but chicago's defense Probably gonna be pretty bad. They're gonna be throwing the ball quite a bit, and, and I think that Cole commits a really good call there on your part. But yeah, Hunter Henry, I think, could have finished close to seven, eight, nine touchdowns again, but with even more receptions than he had last year. So I love him in that punt scenario. Even if you don't get him as your tight end too, and really just give yourself some flexibility. Yeah, you just got a bunch of guys in New England, and you don't really know how yeah. things are gonna shake out. And 
I made like an anti-Jacoby video the other day, and I I kind of like uh, Devontae Parker, but again, he's had these health issues uh, yeah. throughout the last few seasons. And Hunter Henry, um, I, I think the, the main thing I want out of Hunter Henry is just that consistency in his targets because we'll see like, like for instance, week five, eight targets. That is awesome. Yeah. That's like Travis Kelsey. Then the next week, two targets. And then it was four. And then, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the season, it was eight and six target games. So if he can have that consistency, I think that he will be a slept on tight end just because um doesn't get a lot of hype. Uh, he is a big touchdown guy, and he's consistently been a guy that's like always featured in the red zone. I mean, he had eight yeah, touchdowns sure. his, his rookie season, and that's not a fluke, you know, so. Uh, I, I I hear that on uh, on a uh, Hunter Henry. Yeah, man, it's it's just it's so fun talking about guys that could actually like really destroy their ADPs. There's some real sleep, deep sleepers that I, I posted on Twitter earlier today. Randall Cobb and Isaiah McKenzie, I think, both finishing or being drafted past wide receiver ninety, who I imagine are both going to start in the slot for their their, their teams and their offenses. So yeah. just trying to find some of those guys deep in your drafts, even at the very last pick whether it's going to be tight end whether it's going to be a wide receiver can easily be a huge tipping point on how you finish and and win your leagues or how you end up finishing maybe second or whatnot so this was a ton of fun thank you for coming on and joining me on this episode let everyone know what you're doing next what you're working on how they can get your guide and everything like that Sure. So, uh, yeah, I did drop a, a guide not too long ago. It was uh, like 86 pages. Uh, I know you checked that out. Oh, yeah. um, you can find that on my Twitter Twitter page. Uh, I, I try to plug content uh, daily. So I, I don't you know if it's an infographic or if it's like a short TikTok video or a podcast or, you know, randomness. I, I try to do something daily and, and, you know, be as active as possible. So I'm at P2W Fantasy. Uh, you can check my live streams out or my podcast. It's the P2W Fantasy Podcast. I do a bunch with uh, fantasy points as well. Uh, sporadically, Scott Barrett and I host other guests, and that's on their page and their YouTube mm-hmm. channel. You can so you can find it there as well. But uh, really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. We had some really nice topics that I think can really help people uh, have a boost for their leagues this coming season. Yeah, man, ton of fun. And I, please, guys, do check out his Twitter page, everything he does. He's always pumping something out, whatever it is. Honestly, it's great stuff. Definitely check out the guide. I have it. I literally had it up this entire time. I was combing through it while we were talking. It's great information. You're not going to you're not going to want to miss that. So, again, thank you guys for joining me on this Fantasy Football Astronauts podcast. This is Daniel Harms. You can find me at in Harms Way 19. And we are blasting off.